This is episode 27 of Cinescope, and usually I follow the Judeo-Christian ethic of thou shalt not kill, but that's just me. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today are Aaron Lindsay and Craig Underhill to talk about one of their favorite films, So I Married an Axe Murderer. How are you two doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Chad? I am doing well. Craig, you doing okay? Awesome. Great. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode of uh, Cinescope because it's a little bit of a different movie than the kind of things we normally talk about. So uh, before we get into the subject in particular, how about you guys introduce yourselves? Aaron, you first? Yeah, uh, my name is Aaron Lindsay. I'm a co-host of Two Middle-Aged Dudes and a Microphone with Craig. Uh, we've uh, known each other since the early 80s, and um, here we are in 2017 discussing one of our uh, favorite movies from the 90s. What about you, Craig? Yeah, I'm Craig Underhill. I'm the uh, probably the most important co-host on that on that podcast. <laughs> no comment from Aaron. Okay, so <laughs> I'm trying to be good. We have been we have been friends since uh, back in the high school days, and uh, we both love this movie. We we have a uh, we a tendency to love offbeat movies, and uh, so this is one that's that's quoted very much by us, and and actually more people than you think. I think. Definitely. Um, what exactly is your podcast? Can you sort of sum it up? Yeah, what we do is we take weird news stories every week. Actually, we do it twice a week. Our podcast is uh, published on Mondays and Fridays. We take the weirdest news stories we can find and we just discuss them and break them down. It's kind of an alternative to depressing uh, negative news that you get on your networks. Right. It's sort of the the news version of Cinescope, I suppose. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the funny, weird stuff that you, you, you hear about now and then. We dig it up, and it's just everything is ridiculous. It is, and uh, I've been a long-time listener at this point. I don't remember how far along either of us were when I first started talking to you, Aaron, uh, but we came across each other on Reddit and said, hey, I'll listen to your show and leave it a good review if I like it. And yeah, uh, we, we both liked each other's shows, and I think we've both sort of been listening ever since. Yep, I have. And uh, so I, I I would highly recommend Two Middle-Aged Dudes in a Microphone to everybody out there listening. It's a family-friendly show. It's uh, very funny. Some good non-political correctness that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Keep waiting to hear about that sometime. So Right, right, right. Expecting letters. If, if we could take just a second and go back to your previous episode with uh, Toy Story 3. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's talk about it real quick. Craig and I live in a small town, and the most famous person to come from the small town was Jim Varney. And I think Craig's house is actually close to where, uh, yeah, yeah. pretty much the same neighborhood. Well, I'm um, across the street, right off the greenway, Jim Varney, a slinky dog. He lives, uh, he lived right off. We, we can see his house from the greenway during the wintertime because there's no green. So, so we, we used to bump into him around town and, uh, was a really, he was a really neat guy. He was all, the year before he died, he was the grand marshal of our Christmas parade. And other times he was just in the parade, but, I just thought that was a neat tie-in to your last episode because you were talking about the new Slinky Dog, who was a friend of Jim's, actually. Right. 
Right. Blake Clark uh, was hired as Slinky Dog in Toy Story 3 to replace Jim Varney. And found they found out after the fact that, hey, they were actually really good friends after starring in a movie together, um, either in the late 80s or 90s. I don't remember for sure which. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool connection, guys. Uh, yeah. You're, you're close to celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, he never acted like a celebrity. And I don't know that I ever considered him a celebrity. You know how it is when somebody from your town makes it big? You know, right. Joe, Joe down at the at the drugstore becomes a movie star. He's still just Joe. <laughs> right. It's almost like living next to Disney World or something. It, to you, it's just the neighborhood theme park. But to everybody else, yeah. it's this giant right. travel destination. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. What was really weird about Joe, too, is he actually had a slinky for a body. That was the really strange part. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, well, before we uh, move into our movie which I'm sure we'll have some interesting stories behind it. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners to go over to iTunes, take a couple minutes out of your day. Please consider rating and reviewing and even subscribing to the show. Uh, it's always a big help to us podcasters. That is sort of our bread and butter is iTunes reviews. The, the, the more of those we get, the more of an audience we get and the more great content we can put out there for you. So please take a second, go to iTunes, do that for us. And we would certainly appreciate it. And, I don't always give a spoiler warning on this show because, hey, every episode is diving in deep to a movie. This is more of a movie breakdown podcast than a movie review podcast. But uh, this movie in particular, I don't think many of our listeners will have seen, or if they did, it was a long time ago. And I was actually fairly surprised by a couple things that happened in this movie. So if you haven't watched this, go rent it on iTunes, go rent it on Amazon, go buy it somewhere if you feel so inclined and uh, give it a watch before you listen, because there's a cool twist in this movie and you might be pleasantly surprised by how unlike a typical Mike Myers comedy this is. So and it's funny. Yeah, it's it is definitely funny. a funny movie. Yeah. It's very quotable. Very quotable. It is quotable. Um, so, so with that, how about you guys? Are you ready to start talking about So I Married an Axe Murderer? Oh, I'm ready. We never stop talking about it. <laughs> oh, good, good. So this should feel pretty natural. <laughs> that's, that's sad, but true. <laughs> um, well, well let, let's dive in. So So I Married an Axe Murderer was released on July 30th of 1993 and was directed by Thomas Schlamm, who directed Miss Firecracker, but is more known for uh, his TV work. He directed the pilot episode of Spin City with Michael J. Fox, the pilot episode of Parenthood, five episodes of Manhattan, and he's actually really well known for working with Aaron Sorkin on stuff like The West Wing and Sports Night, as well as the short-lived short Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. It was written by Robbie Fox and uh, with some additional uncredited work from Mike Myers himself and Neil Malarkey. The music was by Bruce Broughton, who was known for his TV work such as Quincy Emmy, Dallas, and uh, film work such as The Boy Who Could Fly, Harry and the Hendersons, The Rescuers Down Under, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, and its sequel, Lost in San Francisco, Tombstone, and Miracle on 34th Street. And the movie stars Mike Myers, Nancy Travis, Anthony LaPaglia, Amanda Plummer, Michael Richards, Brenda Fricker, and Matt Doherty. So... How about Craig? You start this off. What was your first experience with this movie? What what started this obsession? Well, at the time, I remember seeing a sort of peculiar teaser for the movie in the uh, in a, in the theater. I saw it's Mike Myers kind of breaking down the 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 fourth wall there, and it's he's he's in a director's chair, and he's just almost it's just a, it's not even a preview. It's like him going on, and he goes in this maniacal laugh, and of course, at the time. Mike was really, you know, he was really hot at 
at that moment. And, uh, he, he was like, I got to see this. Cause I mean, he cracks me up anyway. I don't clearly remember if I saw it at the theater or if I, uh, here's a, here's a little thing about my background, by the way, I, at the time this movie came out, I worked in video distribution. So this movie came out on video. Uh, it was actually, I had a copy of it pretty early and, uh, I think that probably began it then because I was there during the, the promotion and marketing of the movie to the video stores, if anybody remembers what those are. And uh, I think it probably just at that point kind of fused with me and uh, my brother and I, just everybody, and just anybody that loved the movie, we just constantly quote it. And, and Mike is so funny and his characters that anyone watching it will see, he plays two different characters in this, is so funny. And, and it's just, it's almost like you want to see the, this other character. He plays his father. You want to see him play this character more than himself because <laughs> he's such a great character. Um, so I think that just at that point, uh, it's just been part of my life ever since. It's just a quotable movie for me, if that makes any sense. It does. And we, we've talked about this on the show before, but sometimes just the right movie at a right time in our lives hooks us. And there's no real explanation behind it, but uh, it is hard to let go once it's sort of latched on and embedded itself in your psyche in a way. What about you, Aaron? I actually took my wife. Let me let me rephrase that. I drug my wife to the theater to see this movie, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Um, she's a ch- typical woman, and she doesn't get all this the humor that uh, that Craig and I enjoy. But we saw it in the theater, and they it it. Like you said, I think it was the time of my life when this movie just hit me. It's probably the funniest movie I ever saw. Had a fantastic soundtrack. Mike Myers in the dual roles uh, just floored me. And, and and Craig and I both agree that Mike Myers as the uh, as his father in the movie was actually funnier than Charlie Mack, his uh, main character. But then. As soon as it came out on video, we bought a copy of the video. So Lori now loves the movie. My wife loves the movie, uh, I think, as much as I do. Because we watched it when we were younger and the kids were young. We, we watched it often uh, when they were babies. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't, we, we didn't show it to the kids uh, for, for movie time or anything. But uh, it's, uh, it, it, it kind of takes me back to that, that young married life that was, uh, that was so fun. So for me, I was a year old when this released, and so I did not see <laughs> it, it at the time. <laughs> and um, I, I, I don't know if I'd even heard of it. I, I was talking with you, Aaron, as we were planning to do this episode, and I said, hey, well, what movie would you like to talk about? And you throw out this wild card from left field, and I, I was, <laughs> what is this movie you are wanting me to watch? It, Mike Myers? Are you kidding? Come on. And I mean... Here's my experience with Mike Myers. I've seen the first two Shrek films, which are great. I saw yep. that awful Cat in the Hat movie. And I saw, I apparently, he was in Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. I had no idea. I've seen it one time. and I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah, uh, I, I was looking up, okay, what movies was he in that I think I have seen? And apparently, he's in that one. So, wow. What about Austin Powers? I have not seen Austin Powers, which, oh listening gosh. to your podcast, I know how much you love Austin Powers. <laughs> um, you know, all of the really bad Scottish accents we attempt to do are straight from So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> right, true. right. This is that, a sort of we weird precursor it. to Shrek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was at the time when Mike was, like I said, Mike was really on top of his game before he did a few things like Love Guru and stuff that people know, just kind of failed. I mean, it was this was like probably... 
right after Wayne's World, and it was it was when Mike was I I, I would say it was before Austin Powers, so it was uh, when Mike was probably out there as a big star, and they were going to sign him for whatever movie he wanted to do. And honestly, I think he hit it out of the ballpark. I think that is hysterical. What about Wayne's World, Chad? Have you seen either of those? No, I haven't. I I, I know those. There's like these certain movies like. Wayne's World, like Austin Powers, I should probably see just for posterity at the very least, and I, yeah. I haven't gotten around to seeing them. Well, you I get to see what kind of a talent he really is. I mean, he really can be great. I mean, you see Shrek. He's great as that, even though you just hear his voice. And and I'm sure Love Guru, he was probably good. I just, I've never seen it. I've heard it's just an abysmal movie. But I don't know. I've not seen it. But I can tell you in Austin Powers and in, in, in Max Murderer and whatever, he's, he's typically, you know, A-game. He's just he's just really in his element. Yeah, th- this is not the kind of Mike Myers movie I remember from my childhood and growing up. I, I remember more of the Cat in the Hat and the Love Guru and stuff like that. And so uh, I had sort of left it in the contract I forced you guys to sign before being on this podcast <laughs> that hey, if I don't like this movie, we're going to change it. Okay. Yeah. And um, I was fully prepared to dislike this and to say, listen, guys, I think we might want to do something else that fits the show a little bit better. And so I sit down and I watch it and I'm being as open as I can. And it surprised me. I enjoy this movie. I I think this is not so much a quote unquote Mike Myers comedy as the way we would associate it nowadays. And it's more of a comedy that stars Mike Myers. And I I think there's a a big difference between the two, at least in today's connotations. Yes, and it's got, it's, got a, it's got a pretty good ensemble, too. I mean, you've got you didn't mention earlier, but it's, it's kind of easy to forget. Um, Stephen Wright, the comedians, the airplane pilot. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And Alan Arkin. Yeah, right. Alan Arkin is one of the I was just telling someone the other day about that scene and it or some of the scenes with him. And I mean, there's just such a great combination of people and it doesn't really get in your face. It just kind of rides along and it's great, but it's never really full of itself, if, if that makes sense. Uh, Phil Hartman was in it. Michael Richards. Michael Richards uh, is the cop. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and Debbie Mazur was even in it. You know, there's the list goes on. It, it, there's lots of people, even in just in the background in this movie, that are just good, very good in their art. And, you know, not knowing what this film was, not knowing what it was about, and just based on the title and sort of knowing sort of Meyer's brand of comedy, I was walking into this movie sort of expecting like a screwball slapstick horror comedy kind of thing and that is not at all with this movie this is a romantic comedy like straight up it most of most of this movie except maybe the last 20 minutes is just a romantic comedy and it's charming it's fun it's funny it's it's a good movie so let's let's talk about aspects of the story that we like so aaron what what in the story do you like here i think the character of mike myers in the story in a in a way reminded me of myself and the fact that he is this uh guy who cannot commit to a relationship but he has this outgoing personality where he can get on stage and uh and do some spoken word art and be silly just to watch his character transform that to me was the best part of the story so i guess my answer would be that the character uh transformation of charlie mack Okay, what about you, Craig? I, I'm sitting here thinking while you guys are talking, and um, you know, there's it's so easy to. I, I love the way I, I kind of love the way they kind of glued it all together. The, the, his mother with the newspaper, and then they kind of build this little 
sub subplot of the murderer. And so he starts because he's looking for a reason to get out of any relationship because he's fear of, he has this fear of commitment that now she's planted this, his mother's planted this idea that there's this serial killer who's marrying and murdering. And, and so he somehow finds a way to, to, to wiggle that into his life and make that part of anybody he meets. But I really, um, I like, I like that little bit of a, of a subplot there is with his, uh, with Anthony, uh, as playing the undercover cop, he wants to be this. And, and Aaron and I can appreciate anybody around our age can appreciate that in the seventies, any cop show had some guy that was dressed, dressed like a pimp. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he's, He's trying to portray that seventies cop show thing. And the cops always, the, they, there was always the angry sergeant that would always drag them in and threaten their jobs and scream at them. And that's what he wanted Alan Arkin to do. And, and he wanted to live that, that 1970s cop sort of role that wasn't even a real role. And that whole subplot to me was just really funny. I just love, cause I love Alan Arkin anyway. And, and Alan just plays it so good uh, with him. And I, I just think that's a really great part of the movie. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely a standout part for me. Yeah, and his character's name was Tony, which I thought was funny, just because that's such a Italian cop name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love the opening maybe 15 to 20 minutes of this movie where it sets up everything that you need to know. I mean, yes, that's what movies should do, but I, I love the way it did do it. And you touched on this, Craig, where we... In the, in the cafe, we get introduced to Charlie as this sort of boy-called-wolf kind of man with a fear of mm-hmm. commitment. And we get to meet Tony. We get to get some of the, the, the jokes that we're, we're expecting from this kind of movie. We get to see, hear the first iteration of Charlie's uh, poetry kind of thing. That comes back a few times throughout the movie. And um, then we transition to the, the, the butchery. And we get this brief introduction to Harriet, even though we don't know who she is. And we see that there's some sort of connection there. And he, he orders the haggis and, uh, he sort of just, <laughs> he, he, he leaves sort of without saying anything to her romantically. But we, we see there's something there that, or something that might be there. And then when he gets to his parents' house, uh, we get intro to his parents and their fantastic love of all things Scottish. And, yeah. um, we his get younger brother. Right, the younger brother, which is <laughs> really funny for <laughs> for no particular reason. It's just funny. It's it's a it's a fun gag, and um, oh, it's great. And then we get more information from Charlie. We get him saying, "Hey, I'm actually terrified of marriage. I'm not just scared of commitment. I'm terrified of marriage." He's that's exactly what he says. And um, then that leads off into the funny joke about the the paper and the worldwide news. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I still, I still quote that to this day. <laughs> I hear Craig quote that at least weekly because it's a well-known fact, Sonny Jim. <laughs> um, and so we, we get all this set up in the first 20 minutes or so, and we get the introduction of or the, the, the planting of the seed that his soon to be wife might be a murderer. And so it, it, it adds everything up together. We get this boy called Wolf combined with the, the worldwide news story, and it, 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 it all just fits so perfectly together to set up the rest of the film. And another really, uh, it kind of it kind of conflicts a little bit, which is great. Is Nancy uh, Nancy Travis Harriet? She's so charming. I mean, she's so she's so cute and she's so lovable that you're going, could she be that? You know, it yeah, feel like right. she could be. You know, yeah, it's, but it's, if you're like me, you think, well, what do you expect a serial killer, an axe murderer, to look like? And then I think, well, 
they may look just like that. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. Right. And the whole time, we everything seems to add up that, hey, maybe she is. But then we, I guess we can go ahead and mention the twist. The twist is, of course, it's it's her sister who's killing all of her right. husbands. Amanda Rose. Plummer. But yes, Amanda Plummer. And I did. I, I honestly, honestly did not see that twist coming. Looking I back, it definitely made sense. Uh, yeah. th- there were little moments where she sort of laughs at that aspect of uh, Harriet calling out Ralph in her sleep. I mean, little little things like that, which we'll get into. But it, it makes sense going back. But going through the the movie, you don't really suspect it the first time. And I, I really appreciated that there was a sort of twist that actually, actually honestly surprised me. Kind of a funny story about Amanda Plummer. I've told Aaron this, I'm sure, many times. But at the time that movie was probably filming, I was in San Francisco because, um, I, like I said, I worked in video distribution. And I was on a trip with Universal Pictures. And this was a Columbia TriStar movie. But they were it's all in San Francisco. And I got on the elevator at the Four Seasons. And Amanda sitting is the only one in there. And she's cowering in the corner of the elevator. And she was exactly about as odd as you would expect (laughs) if you've seen the fisher king or you've seen uh you know this movie i mean she's she's just she was friendly but it was like i couldn't it was like she was she was withdrawing into the corner she couldn't get any further into the corner and and i said something to her realizing it was but i said something to her and she just it it was just weird it was socially odd but it was funny because i think that was probably when they were filming the movie too so that's my little story it was kind of interesting that later on i became such a fan (laughs) <laughs> that's very cool um and one other thing i i wanted to mention the the story was the the twist on maybe classic romantic comedy tropes where you've got the the typical bonding scene where they're first feeling out their love for each other and it in this movie it happens in a butcher shop and there's raw meat everywhere and they're playing with it and reenacting alien and yeah. doing all these weird <laughs> things that you don't you wouldn't normally expect in a normal romantic comedy so we we get the same sort of mike myers screwball humor every once in a while but it's it's never to the extremes that we maybe see him do in some of his more recent films yeah they they do not give it a chance to get old in this movie it's not it's not like robin williams like when they would just wind him up and let him go and it was just too much you know he was he was brilliant but at times it was like okay can we dial it down a little bit Mike was kind of kept at bay during this movie. I don't think he went quite as crazy as he could have. And, and that's kind of made it, I think more charming as he was funny. She was great. They were had really good chemistry too. That's another thing. And, uh, so that really helped the whole thing a lot too. Plus just really good writing. Were there any other aspects of the story you guys wanted to point out or are we ready to move into characters? Uh, I've been, ex- I'm ready to move into characters. Let's I've go. Been excited. Yeah. Okay. Then let's just talk a little bit about Charlie specifically for just a moment. What do you guys have to say about Charlie? Pretty much. What I said, uh, uh, what my love of this movie is, he, he's just an average guy. Uh, there's there's nothing really special about him except his his personality shines through in humor. But you also see the human side of him with his fear of commitment, and his fear of commitment goes so far it, it's it's in itself a huge joke. The fact that the certain things that, that he's afraid of that anybody else would see are as normal. But then his his the funny side being his uh, uh, poetry and uh, just the little idiosyncrasies like the Lip, Lipton's cappuccino uh, gag, all of that make him my second favorite character in the whole movie. Do you have anything to say about him, Craig? Yeah, what he said. I mean, it, it, he, first of all, he's this he's this lovable character. I mean, he's he's 
he's not even in no way could ever be threatening. He just seems like this nice guy. And you know, one of the, one of my favorite lines in the movie is he's coming up, he's talking to Anthony. What, what's Anthony's character's name? I'm totally blank. Tony, Joe, Tony, Tony, he's Tony. talking to Tony and, uh, they're sitting there at the very beginning in the, in the, in the Java bar, wherever they are. And he says, uh, he's going, well, what about this girl? What about this girl? And he finally just can't come up with excuses. And he goes, she smelled like soup. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, he couldn't, he couldn't, he just had to have an excuse for it. So here's this like really nice guy, unassuming guy, whatever, you know, he's a nice guy. You want him to win. And it's, it's just, he's just, he's likable. So, you know, one of the, one of the problems with a lot of movies and uh, drives me nuts sometimes is you, you don't care about the character. They just don't write it well enough. And you actually care about him from the beginning because you think he's a great guy. And so you want him to win. Uh, you want him to do great, but it's just funny to watch him and the ridiculous extremes he goes to. This movie tackles some of the fears that I think a lot of people experience as far as stuff like commitment and long term for the rest of your life kind of thing. And so we see in Charlie that he's a guy who loves the whole falling in love process. He's good at it. He fears the happy ever after, right? He, he fears pressing save and locking it in for the rest of his life. Um, yeah. And so when it comes time for him to spend time with Harriet after their first date, and he says, you know, I like you a lot. I want to do this, but... I also don't want to hurt you. And so he, he, he gives her an out. He says, you know, if, if you don't want to do this, if this isn't something you're happy with, I, I am going to walk out because I don't want to want this to turn into something that might eventually hurt you. And so you really feel for him because you can see how happy he was on this date. You can see how much he likes her, but he also, you also see him facing the truth of his situation what has happened in the past with his relationships and then, of course, that's that's turned on his head as she says, you know, I want to spend uh, the, the night together. I want to spend the night together. And you get this funny sequence of him chasing her up the stairs as he's de-pantsing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, he, he sets that aside pretty quickly. But there, there is that moment of genuineness uh, that I, I really appreciated because you, you understand where he's coming from. You understand that, yes, he cares about this girl, but he's also cared about his previous girlfriends. And they, they all ended the same way with him getting scared to take it a step farther in the relationship and having to end things. So um, then as he does commit himself to her and he's going, they're going through and everything's so happy and they're having a great time. And then he still ends up expressing doubt and he, it, it leads to the breakup and we see his immediate regret, especially when she says this particular line, she says, at least you left early on and we're left as an audience thinking, what does that mean? Does that mean yeah. like, that is that planning doubt in us as to whether she is the murderer or not? Because that's pres presumably why he's breaking up with her is be because he thinks that she is Mrs. X who's killing all of her uh, husbands on their honeymoon. And then she says something like that. And it sort of throws a wrench in that equation. And we see it do the same thing to him. And in that moment we see him think, okay, is she Mrs. X or am I just continuing to express my, my fears, my insecurities again? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the hook. That that's what gets you because the, at least me, I thought, wow, it is her, you know, at that at that point. Right. He can't figure it out, but we can't either. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, is it her or not? Are they are they, are they th are they throwing these little, you know, are they faking us off over and over again? You know, or is it really her? And uh, and I really don't want to get caught up too much in the whodunit in this whole movie. You're just kind of watching, and and really, I started getting more invested in you, big dummy. Don't lose her. You know, I was right. kind of like, yeah. Hey, 
you know, heck, even if she's an axe murderer, she's cute. Don't lose her. Yeah. What's, what's your problem? <laughs> she's well, worth there, dying over. Yeah, and there, there even was a point in this movie, watching it the first time, where I said, you know, maybe there isn't a murderer aspect to this movie at all. Maybe that was just... The, the like sort of a, a metaphor for his insecurities and that that was the whole twist of the movie was that there wasn't a murderer right um yeah he, he was just trying to find any reason to end his happiness because he was afraid of it well and also look at the source it was like a national Enquirer type of tabloid right so you're questioning also in the back of your mind is it even real you know is it was there really anybody at all oh no but that's the eighth highest circulating n- newspaper in the world those are facts that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know who controls all the newspapers, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. The Pentabit, <laughs> Colonel Sanders. Uh, how can you hate the Colonel? <laughs> <laughs> Makes um, me crave it fortnightly. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead. Is there anything else we wanted to say about Charlie, or are we ready to move on? Let's move on. Let's move on. How about Harriet? We've already talked about how likable she is. I mean, frankly, she's lovely. I, I think she's she's beautiful. She's got a fun personality. Uh, she she fits neck and neck in with his sort of weird idiosyncrasies. Um, and they, they really do seem like a perfect match. I think she's fantastic. Yeah. And that's one thing that led me to think maybe she re- actually was the axe murderer is there, there were no flaws. I could find no flaws with her character. And and not to take away from her, but, you know, there's really not a lot to her character. I mean, we've named everything, but she's kind of got to be there to move the story along. She is the catalyst of the story. So it's not like there's a, you know, there's a little bit of the backstory where she's obviously moved around and there's all this something going on. You don't know what's happening, but she's not exactly complex, I don't think. She's just necessary. And I'm not minimizing her character because, as we said, we we love her, but... Uh, to go on about her probably is not as easy. I, mean, I thought it was kind of hard to go on that long about Charlie, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, with her, like what I was saying earlier, we we believe sort of some of the, the the little details about her that lead us to think she might be the murderer. We get the the Russian, we get the Atlantic City poster, and the the shouting Ralph in her yeah. sleep, and everything lines up. Aside from the fact that she's a, a lovely person, and we sort of forgive her for those those things lining up with the 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 tabloid story because everything turns out happy they get married and then she starts acting weird all of a sudden and we're thinking yeah. okay what is what is going on and they get to the hotel for their honeymoon and she walks off and tells him don't move we don't know what she's doing and then whenever he goes up to the restroom during their meal he she follows him to see where he's going we don't really know the first time through what she's doing this for um she's whether she's just trying to uh, whether she is trying to find an opportunity to kill him, frankly. Yeah. And so um, looking back afterwards, you see, oh, she's she's scared he's going to leave her. Yep. And I think that that adds a different layer to her character there, Craig, is uh, maybe she's not the most complex character ever, but there is this layer of complexity added when we realize that those moments are her insecurities at him leaving, not her oh, trying sure. to enact some sort of vendetta, but the fact that she she's worried that the same thing's going to happen to her now as happened to the last three husbands. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's uh, most of her stuff is about emotions and being a guy, I don't want to talk about emotions. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, towards the end, you're talking about, you know, when they're at the hotel, I mean, and, and not to get off track from characters, but you know, the movie takes such a complete turn. It becomes this thriller at the end, you know, up on the roof and, and, and it just, it goes from being this happy go lucky romantic comedy to being this, 
intense, you know, scaling up and down the roof of this big hotel. And, and just it just really switches gears on you. It does. And I, I think we're probably through saying things about Harriet aside from, I mean, again, she's just lovely. And it, it's funny imagining her as a killer for a second because it really doesn't fit aside from these personality traits that semi line up with the story. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and at that point, they've really done a good job because back to the at where I'm talking about this turning into a thriller up to the point where the whole thing happens, the, the big ending, you know, she's starting to look like more and more like she might be the one and she might actually be this killer. I mean, should they really kind of make you second guess her all the time? Uh, just the way she's looking and the way, you know, just her interaction with Charlie. OK, so she's deeper than I gave her credit for. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm glad you could admit that. <laughs> um, now, Tony gets we we were talked about him a little bit but he gets a little bit of his own growth we we get to hear him talk about man i i wish i was more of a real cop and less of a paperwork cop i want to be the one to chase somebody down or commandeer a vehicle and yeah. we, we get that moment where he ultimately fails or more or less fails <laughs> uh in commandeering a vehicle as he's trying to chase down uh when he realizes oh harriet might be the murderer he thinks she is the murderer and come on please I, Please let me commandeer your vehicle. <laughs> isn't, isn't that Phil? Is that Phil Hartman at that point? No, uh, Phil's the the prison guard. Oh no, it's Charles Grodin, isn't it? Yeah, it's Charles Grodin. I yeah. forgot Charles Grodin was in there. Yeah, yeah. and I yeah. apologize. I meant to. I've watched it a million times, but I, I meant to rewatch it, and I didn't get a chance to. But I'm now remembering Charles Grodin was in the movie, and he's got that deadpan. I need to commandeer your vehicle, and he's like, no, right. <laughs> just kind of, no. And he's like really thinking it over in his head too. Like, no, yeah, he's great. He's a great character. Tony's a great character. He is. And it's, it's funny because at the end of the film, it's revealed that, you know, really he's just not a great cop. He, he wants to, right. he wants to so badly, but then he interrogates Harriet after pulling her out of the closet. I mean, obviously since he's not doing anything in there and he, he handcuffs her, he lights a cigarette. He tries pulling off this tough guy routine. <laughs> and meanwhile, you hear chops of the ax from the roof above them as Rose is ultimately trying to kill Charlie. And he, he's completely ignoring that in favor of trying to interrogate Harriet because he's convinced she's the one who did it. Yeah. And, and, and she's, and if, she's even telling him, you know, you need to go help him. Well, and if, and if you're, any of your, your listeners have never watched shows like Starsky and Hutch or Beretta or, you know, I mean, you, you go watch these shows and, and, and Tony was literally living what he had seen as a kid. And that was like, no one ever told him that wasn't how cops were. Right. And, and it was like a disappointment when he, when it wasn't that way, but that's what makes it so great. And even that whole interaction of him wanting Alan Arkin to scream at him, you know, you don't yell at me enough. You're too nice. And, 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 then, and then Alan yells at him at one point. He's like, was that too much? You know, he's just like wanting him to be really mean. And you've really got to watch those old shows to appreciate that, where that's coming from, because it was so, uh, use the term trope is very tropey back in the seventies. You had to have somebody, uh, you always had to have the same formula almost every time. And it was just funny. Right. What about, um, Rose, any, any quick things to say about Rose? I mean, she's not in this movie very much until the, the climax of the film. And, uh, what, what sort of caught me about her character was the idea that she has abandonment issues and through her abandonment issues, she's causing abandonment issues for Harriet in turn. Yeah. Plus, she she was really creepy. Every time I saw her, you know, from from the when he walked into the bathroom and she was there, you know, the first time he met her, she had this this real creepy vibe. And I never connected it with, you know, the twist. I just thought she was uh, a person I, that was afraid to, to be alone. I kind of figured she was a red herring. 
I kind of thought she was there to make you the opposite of what you're saying. I kind of, I think I, I thought she was there to lead you the wrong way. And then you were going to find out it was something completely different, you know, and it ends up not being actually, it was actually pretty obvious from the beginning, you know, who's the weirdest person on the screen. Yeah. Again, on second viewing, I did watch this movie twice um, because the first time I didn't take notes because I was expecting to dislike it. And so I watched it again to take proper notes the second time. And uh, the second time I definitely picked up, yeah, she, she's a little bit of a strange character. I, I, I yeah. can definitely see this lead up now. And um, she goes from this sort of timid, slightly off character earlier in the film to this actually very scary and kind of terrifying character at the end as she's chasing him down with an axe on the roof of the hotel. Yeah, her 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 voice when she screams is just unnerving. Her that pitch to her voice. <laughs> um, but she's a uh, she's an interesting character. But I think she fit that role uh, really well. So she's 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 definitely you know I like I said I think I I wouldn't I, I don't know if I was expecting it was her or not. I'm always watching this kind of movie and I'm thinking okay which what are they trying to lead me down the road which road are they lead me down I'm trying to always trying to figure I guess everybody does when they watch a murder mystery they're always like okay what are they are they trying to make me think this and. uh ends up being the mo- the weirdest person on the screen was the obvious one. Now, that, that's most of the main characters, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about his parents because, oh, yeah. um, I mean, Mike Myers as his dad, and I don't, I, I think I knew automatically, but it did take me a second, maybe the first time I watched it, where I was like, wait a second, that's Mike <laughs> Myers, so well. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart McKenzie, the father, he's, he's my second favorite uh, character in the movie. Or he, he's my first favorite character. Uh, I was going to say, he's my favorite. He's yeah, my favorite. he's my first favorite. And uh, we don't get enough of him in the movie. You know, he, he's sprinkled lightly. But I would love to have seen, I don't know, another 10 minutes of, of Stuart. <laughs> I love how much of a tough guy he is throughout the whole film. He, he's he's picking yeah. on Heed. And he's, yeah. <laughs> and he's uh, throwing insults at Charlie and... He, I, all, all these kind of things throughout the movie where he's just sort of like this, this passive, uh, you go do it yourself kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then we get that tender moment that I, that made me appreciate his movie all the more at the 30th anniversary party where he says, after yeah. all this, all this time, I still love you. And yeah. it, it's not exactly something you would have expected from that kind of character, but it's that moment that makes him an infinitely better character in my eyes. That was right before the Piper down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. the, the Piper is at the wedding, right? That's at the. They're out there. Um, I think he's it, talking about the, the end when they're at the hotel, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, we have a pipe of down. That was yeah. during the wedding, I believe. <laughs> that, that's one of my favorite lines. And I can't even recreate whatever he sings the Rod Stewart song. I can't. Who's also Scottish, by the way, Rod Stewart. And so yeah, he's, that's singing, why he's singing it. <laughs> if you want my body, and he's like, just do you think I'm sexy? That was the song, right? Right. And he's like, yeah. uh, and he, and he's just babbling on until the guy, that one old guy, just standing there, just falls over with his bagpipes. And <laughs> yeah. We just got to pipe it down. <laughs> pipe it is down. Yeah, something I really loved about uh, his parents and him in particular was. Uh, well, the first time we go into their house, there's a Scottish wall of fame that he's yeah. dusting off. And you see um, Alexander Graham Bell and you see uh, yeah. Sheena Easton of all people. I mean, you see all these like weird people that you would really wouldn't put together, except, oh, I guess they all have common Scottish ancestry. And yes. uh, oh, I'm sure the Bay City Rollers were in there somewhere. Exactly. I was about to say he, he's dancing to the Bay City Rollers, which is a yeah. Scottish group. They were in there, yeah. And a- yeah. every every song he sings is by some sort of Scotsman. Scottish. Um, yeah, because yeah, yes. then there's uh, 
another Rod Stewart song that he sings. He's singing, uh, you're in my, you're in my heart or whatever yeah, it's, it's called. Um, yeah. And he's making yeah. up words because he's drunk beyond all get out. <laughs> and it, 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 it's a funny moment. And just the, just the whole interaction between him and he, you know, and <laughs> yeah. go upstairs and cry in your great big pillow. <laughs> you know, he's got that ridiculous hair. He's got like, he doesn't have a, he doesn't even have a forehead. He's got a five head. Yeah. <laughs> he's like this giant head. And, and just this poor kid, the abuse he's taking uh, the, from him the entire time. And also in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, how old were they when they had him? <laughs> he's so young. <laughs> That's true. And, and Brenda uh, Fricker, uh, who played the mom, I thought she did a fantastic job. Fantastic. Because to me, she played the same role in most everything she ever did. But this one, she took the, I don't know, the comedy road and without losing any of her motherly charm, she was just as funny in her way as, uh, as Stuart was. Right. Well, we, we talked about political correctness earlier. I mentioned it. And I mean, they're, they're definitely not going for that here either. They, they're, hamming it up with the Scottish accents and the dialogue is stereotypical. They're saying stuff like we and uh, uh, Sonny Jim and all, all this stuff. I mean, yeah. Scotsmen don't talk like that. Makes you crave it fortnightless. <laughs> Any other characters we wanted to mention? Or I mean, Alan Arkin is great. I love Alan Arkin and everything. Um, I do too. Yeah. So I, I don't really have a whole lot to say about him, but he, he's a funny character. And Stephen Wright was just Stephen Wright, as he is in everything he ever does. He was he was him. He played himself just deadpan. more or less. Yeah, as a pilot. And you know Phil Hartman, uh, his character was a bit crude, but um, still very funny. I thought right as Vicky. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and Mike uh, Mike uh, Michael Richards when he's he's talking in the in the in the police station. And he comes up to me. He thinks he's getting on to him for being mean, and he just flips out and walks off. Right. <laughs> I'm the bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and talk about the music a little bit. I mean, there's not a lot to talk about. Well, there's only one thing to talk about the music, and that's the laws. Right, the laws. <laughs> um, the 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 sandwiching of there she goes throughout this film, and you know we we've got a jokes section of the podcast coming up where we're just going to basically quote the movie at each other um okay <laughs> but the first thing in this movie that made me laugh was the title card coming up and as as it reveals so i married an axe murderer it starts the chorus of there she goes and it, yeah, the it boo it's so non it, it doesn't make sense to pair together and it made me laugh the first the very first thing and i, I thought that was a, a, an excellent way to sort of set the mood for the movie this is okay it's gonna be the one of those kind of movies great yeah the the soundtrack to me is, is as enjoyable by itself as it is in the movie and this was a cd or actually it was a cassette tape at first that that stayed in my player almost almost for a month with without anything else because of the uh you know you had the spin doctors and big audio dynamite and uh Saturday night was not done by uh, Bay City Rollers, but it was in there. Yeah, it was right. a cover. Well, there were two versions of uh, Saturday Night. I think there you heard the original version actually in the movie, but then in the end credits they played the an alternate version, like a, a '90s version. And the same yeah, thing happened with think- uh, um, "There She Goes." There were two versions of that. There were the Laws, and then there was the Boo Radleys. Yeah, the Boo Radleys made the soundtrack, and. Uh, Somebody else did Saturday Night on the soundtrack. It wasn't the Bay City Rollers, but I'm drawing a blank. Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Ned, that's it. Yeah, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. So yeah, I mean the the 
the 90s nature of the soundtrack. It, it, it screams 90s, and I think that, that's oh, perfect for this movie. I, I have no complaints about it screaming 90s. Um, yeah. it, it's 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 music that I remember from my childhood and uh, definitely put me in the mood for this kind of movie, I suppose. Good. And then, um, I, because I always do, I'll just mention the, the score by Bruce Broughton. It's not prominent here because of the the actual soundtrack the the pop yeah. songs but i i love how it's it's mostly jazzy sort of like the kind of stuff that you would hear in the 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 cafe where he's doing his beat poet routine and yes. it, it, it's almost like his whole life is a beat poet routine and i i love that sort of notion i actually ordered the soundtrack because there is a release of his music of bruce broughton's music from this movie the jazzy kind of stuff out there and so i ordered it i, didn't and I, know I should get it sometime this week i think and so i'm looking forward to uh diving into that specifically a little bit more as i uh now that i'm familiar with this movie and can appreciate it in that way oh no what have we done aaron we've we've, we've, <laughs> we've turned somebody else into a monster <laughs> we're starting a, an axe murderer revival yeah we are <laughs> and then uh, i i gotta say charlie's songs or quote-unquote songs whatever you want to call yes. them um there's there's one on the soundtrack called this poem sucks and that's the one where uh, he, he's apologizing to Harriet and he's trying to rekindle the relationship. And uh, I, I, I love how they're all the same. And he's just essentially changing the words. And it's funny to see how he how he twists this one and how he pronounces a word in this one. And it, it, it's a it's a, it's funny, but it's also a good insight into his character at the same time. It's also funny to me that that's actually a real cultural thing. That's actually a thing. And right. or at least it was. And and uh it, it's just funny that a person to me, and I don't mean this insulting, I just, I can't relate to it, but you would go down to these clubs, get on stage and do this, you know, it's just it's <laughs> funny, you know, and, and I think he probably just took that idea and just made it so funny. Um, oh, it's just good stuff. But I believe he did order the large cappuccino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let, let's go ahead and make this the, the jokes section of the podcast. So normally <laughs> at this point, we talk about the, the, the sort of relevance and the, the themes and the, the life lessons we learned from watching this movie. And I mean, let's let's be honest. This isn't that kind of movie. Yes, we can learn about facing our fears and overcoming our insecurities. And that's great. But in the end, this is a comedy and we're here to laugh. And so yes, let's talk right. about our favorite laughter moments. So I already mentioned that there she there she goes playing as the opening title starts. It's so mismatched. And then the next thing that really made me laugh was when he's explaining why he broke up with his girlfriend. He says she's a kleptomaniac. Listen to this day, I still don't know where my cat is. <laughs> That's not exactly where I I expected the conversation to go after mentioning kleptomaniac. I was thinking, oh, she steals candy bars or she steals a pair of shoes every now and then. Oh, she stole my cat. <laughs> okay, okay, and, and that made it into one of his one of his poems. It did. Yeah, she uh, we stole just, my heart and my cat and my cat. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys? What what's something that really made you laugh? Oh my gosh! What didn't make me laugh? I mean, I've got a list. We we could do this on a rotation system if we wanted to. You go, I, I go. Mean, yeah, let's do it. Let's, I, okay. I'm ready. Okay, Craig, you're up. Oh, I mean, I just immediately go to you know, you know, head, head. Look at the size of the head on that. Look at the size of that noggin. It's like an orange on a toothpick. It's just that whole that, that whole band. I go upstairs and cry in your great big pillow. That whole thing just cracks me up, and he never even has concern for the kid. <laughs> he's just no. like... <laughs> he's never sympathetic towards that character. Heed! Pants! No! <laughs> <laughs> or, or when uh, uh, his mother calls for the paper. He says, yes, dear. Heed! Paper! No! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about you, Aaron? 
there was one part where uh, Charlie was was talking to Harriet, and he, he was saying that he said, "I'm afraid you're going to kill." He started to say "kill," but he said, "I'm afraid you're going to ki- leave me." And she <laughs> responded with, "That I'm going to cleave you," <laughs> <laughs> which is actually funny because she's a butcher, right? Yeah, she right. could cleave him, uh, but it, it, yeah, that, that is funny. Um, and, and 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 not to steal a turn, but to that to that point, um, one of the things he says to her that I think is funny is just kind of a real small line in the movie is when they're talking about the haggis, and he says, I, I, I believe that most, what does he say, most Scottish food is based on a dare. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he says, oh, I find it absolutely repellent. <laughs> um, I mentioned Alan Arkin, how much I love him. He always makes me laugh. He, he has the funniest line in Get Smart, which is uh, a movie that I'm sure we'll talk about on the podcast sometime because I love it so much. But in this movie, the 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 second time we see him, where he... he becomes the cop that Tony wants him to be and he's interrogating him and he's yelling at him and he throws him against the wall and then Tony walks out and he walks back in oh that was great and he shrinks back he he, he he's no longer the character we thought he was he, oh I don't know I thought I I thought the good the beginning was good but then uh, it took it too far yeah exactly it's a critique <laughs> and I may have to watch Get Smart now that you mentioned that he's in it because I only I only know the TV show Get Smart. I didn't know Alan Arkin was in the movie. I might have to go back and watch that now. Oh, you definitely do. That is one of my, that's probably my favorite comedy movie, I would say. Well, the the show is so good, I'd be afraid to try to put the movie up against it. So I might have to go back though if Alan's in. Alan's really also good in uh, Edward Scissorhands. He really cracks me up in that movie. Uh, just as the kind of mild-mannered dad. He's one of the writer's dad. Go back and watch Edward Scissorhands if you haven't seen it. He's really good in that. Will do. Um, a, a, a joke that was made here... You know, jokes are only good, as good as your audience understanding the joke. And I, I don't think a lot of people would get this one. You guys probably did. But he says, I like the nightlife. I like to boogie. Yeah. <laughs> That's a song <laughs> reference to I Love the Nightlife by Alicia Bridges. And, you know, I have a strange predilection for your 70s music. So I know that song very, very well. And I picked up on that quote immediately. And it made me laugh. If you listen to our podcast, I have that same disorder. Of quote, anytime somebody <laughs> says something, I will quote a song. It drives Craig nuts because half the time it's it's a song that only I know, you know, from some band that that never made it out of Nashville. Right. But or he'll quote that, something hip hop that I, I don't know any hip hop stuff at all. So right, that happened on uh, this week's episode. I was listening earlier <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <laughs> if it's a if it's an '80s British band, you know, a new wave band or something, I'm probably going to get it. But if it's not, I, he does hip hop. I'm I'm out. Yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, and I'll drop some Run DMC or some Beastie Boys or uh, this week I dropped some Oak Ridge Boys and Craig thought it was hip hop. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I knew it wasn't hip hop, but I didn't know what the song was. Another another line that made me quote in this movie was uh, Rose inquiring, uh, how, how would a breakfast of pancakes and orange juice and bacon and Kona coffee sound? How does that sound? He says, oh, that, that would be great. And then it cuts to her pouring a bowl of Fruit Loops. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have any of those things. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> and you you mentioned the uh, the touching moment where he was talking like 30 years ago today. May and I were married. Uh, uh-huh. When he finished that line, and May said, "That's true." You know, he said, "But I'm glad I married you, May, because hey, it could have been worse." Right. <laughs> <laughs> he took a t- uh, you know a touching moment. Yeah, in that same scene, that's when uh, Charlie proposes. He says, "Marry me," and she says, yes. "No." And he just goes, uh, please, <laughs> like, like it was a test. <laughs> and um, 
another line from Harriet where she's meeting his parents for the first time. And she says, I can't believe the resemblance between you and Charlie, and Mrs. McKenzie. And that made me laugh because, of course, the resemblance is between him and his father. It's the right, same actor. Yeah. <laughs> That's the joke. And, that, and never that, mind the fact that he looks like nobody's kid. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He's got the, the big redhead afro. And and I won't even attempt to I won't even attempt to do the quote because I'm, I'm out of practice. But the, the whole bit with the pentaveret and the whole secret organization that meets in the in the secret mansion, you know, uh, was it called the Meadows? And he goes on about how the, you know, the queen, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, uh, and the colonel before he went tits up, they were all part of this and they <laughs> controlled everything. He's like, how do you hate the colonel? Because he puts addictive chemicals and it makes me crave it fortnightly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we've discussed already Tony and the police chief. Um, one memorable line from Tony is after they'd had a conversation about the chief needed to be meaner, you know, and things like that. Tony says, Captain, I, when I joined the police force, I thought I was going to be Serpico. But it's, instead, I'm like Fish from Barney Miller. <laughs> a, a pagoda. So, so if, you, if you need to look up Serpico, kids, that's uh, it's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> Those are both good references. Barney Miller and Serpico. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we already mentioned the the bagpipes at the wedding um, reception, uh, which is really funny because we start zoomed in on the bagpipe and we hear the sustained note and then we we pan out and he breaks into Do You Think I'm Sexy with yeah. uh, Stuart on accompaniment. <laughs> and that, that made me laugh a lot. And of course, that's when we get the, the piper down. <laughs> he cut the piper down. And who is that guy? It's like that guy's just nowhere else in the movie. He just shows up and he falls over. Right. <laughs> he was just there for entertainment. And then I've got one other thing I could point out was um, at that same wedding reception, he said, Tony says, how could you ever have thought this girl was a murderer? And immediately we are only you, which is something that was referenced <laughs> earlier that uh, that was the lounge singers key song was that he he sang only you in several languages so at first oh it's just a cute coincidence nah and then she switches into uh french or then into italian and then into spanish and uh, she's so she's switching between these languages and we see oh no what has happened everything was right <laughs> everything was true yeah it keeps you going for a while you're trying to figure out what the heck and then like i said it just turns into a whole nother thing all of a sudden so i, I like that about it I, I do too. So any any other jokes that we want to wear out real quick before we sort of close up? <laughs> I'll probably remember all of them after we hang up. I don't know. I can't remember. Well, any any other? What about final thoughts? Closing thoughts? What if you had one thing to say about this movie to the people out there listening? What would it be? Well, you know, this movie you can even with us, you know, this show telling you what happens in it. You know, to find out who it is at the end doesn't ruin the movie for you. It's gonna it's a feel good romantic comedy. It's it's funny. They're all the characters are lovable, except maybe Amanda Plummer, and <laughs> they're all lovable. It's 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 innocent. You know, it's 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 just a feel good movie that you can laugh at, and it's not over the top like some of his other stuff. I mean, like I said, you know, you look at Austin Powers, and that's just him being set free to do what he wanted. You know, and uh, you know, by the time he gets around to Cat in the Hat, it's just a formula, and he's a name they put with it. You know, it's like Jim Carrey doing the Grinch. I mean, it's at this point, it's, hey, we got Mike Myers. Uh, what are we going to do with it? You know, at this point, we're not at that. We're not at that level yet. We, he's he's th probably at this point done Wayne's World and it was huge, but he's still a Saturday Night Live guy like Eddie Murphy. He's a guy that's making movies now. And we love him. So we're going to go watch his movies. And he wasn't sort of uh, it wasn't tired at this point, you know, and, and so it's a really good 
movie. So you don't get the blockbuster Mike Myers, uh, but you get a feel good movie and, and everything, all aspects of the movie are just really good. So if you've never heard of it, you need to, you need to at least try to watch it. And you're living proof that you were, you were bent on not liking it and then ended up liking it. So exactly. I I would say just go into this movie with an open mind. You know, I I announced uh, on the Cinescope Twitter today that we were going to be doing this movie and I, I put in the couple of rental links so people could go watch it before they listened. And I said, you know, just go in with an open mind. This isn't necessarily what you think it might be. This is a different kind of Mike Myers movie than you would expect. And I enjoyed it. I I'm actually, I still have it rented on iTunes for, until late tonight and so i think i might be watching it with my roommates after <laughs> this episode um just because it, it exactly it, it's something that they're not expecting either and so i'm looking forward to sharing that experience with them and it's not a it's not a weird movie that has you know it's a formula this well not all the formula has been used before but it's obviously it's a it's a familiar storyline for the most part up until that the weird twist but you know i think of when i think of weird movies i think of Barden fink you know i left the movie thinking what just happened you know i don't know that's a great movie <laughs> Yeah, but but I mean it was a great movie. But the more you think about it, the more your head hurts and the more you're confused. I mean, this you, this is not a weird movie. It's just probably one you would look across the aisle over it and not even you know you wouldn't even think much about it unless you were you know when it you were at the age when it came out that it would have appeared. You know, what I'm saying back during that wave that he was riding. Exactly. So it's it's not something that's gonna be hard to like. It's just taking the time to say you know what this probably will be good. I just need to give it a chance. Yeah, just set aside your preconceived notions of Mike Myers and enjoy, give it a chance. I mean, that, that, that sums it up to me. Give it a chance. And I think you'll, I don't think there's a lot to hate here. There's a lot to like, though. I just thought of something, too. I'd like to ask both of you guys. Yeah. Did you, did either of you notice Carrot Top in the movie? I did. That was actually my very <laughs> yes. first thought. See, I didn't recognize him. Uh, he was easier to recognize then than he is now. Well, That's true. I, I guess I'm used to. Now, <laughs> you know, but I before when I originally saw the movie, I had no idea who Carrot Top was. Um, and so I just thought it was some goofy guy that they hired. And then the last time I saw the movie, it was actually only a month or two ago. I kind of thought that guy's familiar. And so I, I looked it up and it was it was Carrot Top. Well, cool. Any anything else, guys? Or are we are, are we ready to call it quits for tonight? It's a great movie. Everybody should definitely check it out. They should, yes. And I suppose with that, that is the end of the 27th episode of Cinescope. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for having us. Um, Contact for the show. You can go to facebook.com slash Cinescope podcast or at Cinescope pod on Twitter. Please, again, consider rating and reviewing on iTunes. Uh, Just take a couple minutes out of your day, do that for us, and it would be a big boost to the show. And if you have any feedback or ideas, anything specific, contact me at thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com or any of the uh, social media that I've mentioned. And uh, if you are interested in co-hosting, if you have a movie like this that maybe you love, but other people haven't really given a chance and you think you could talk about it for a little while, let me know. And I'd love to get you under the show to talk about that movie. Um, you guys, where can people find you online? Aaron, how about you start? Uh, you can find us at our website, which is the number two dudes dot stream. We're also on Facebook, uh, at two middle-aged dudes. And our Twitter handle is two M a D a a M. And now available on tune in. Yes. I yes. saw that today. Yep. Um, and I, I would definitely encourage you to go seek out two middle-aged dudes in a microphone. It's a, like I said, it's a family-friendly, goofy, fun kind of show that I, it, it's short episodes. They come out twice a week. Um, 
I, I always have a great time listening and I always look forward to new episodes. So thank you guys. Uh, continue the good work. We appreciate it. I hope you are still enjoying Cinescope and I, uh, yeah, definitely go check out two middle-aged dudes in a microphone. Thanks so much. Thank you. And the best place to find me is on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all the show notes, all the contact information can be found at TheCinescopePodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you guys one more time, Aaron and Craig, for being on the show. It's been a blast. It has been been a lot of fun. Yes, and thank you for introducing me to this weird Mike Myers movie. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy it for the third time. Definitely. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 27. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope. And we'll be back next week with episode 28. Have fun and celebrate movies. (laughs) 